Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 109. My name's Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and perhaps a little dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. This time, we're again looking at ways charities can shift power, not only in terms of governance and leadership, but also in how they approach fundraising. Last time, in episode 108, we heard from Lulu Smithick and Shukri Adan about initiatives in recent years at Refugee Action to shift power in fundraising. Lulu works primarily in individual giving, and Shukri has been an expert by experience fundraising advisor for the charity. They explained where this progress sits within Refugee Action's broader strategy of shifting power in all areas, and explained how Shukri and her colleagues have played an important role in various fundraising projects, including a very successful Radio 4 appeal and a fabulous Christmas cash appeal, which raised 66% more than the previous year and 25% over its target. In this, my second conversation, we talked about various other initiatives, including with corporate partnerships, with major donor fundraising, and Shukri taking on the role of guest editor for an edition of the Supporter Newsletter. I have to say, I found the chance to speak to Shukri and Lulu was both fascinating and inspiring, and I hope you find it helpful too. Hello, Shukri. Hello, Lulu. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome back. Just before we get into it, Lulu, what's your role at Refugee Action? Um, So I'm the Senior Public Fundraising Manager at Refugee Action. Thank you. And Shukri? I'm an expert by experience uh, fundraising advisory group member. Thank you very much. So I hope our listeners have already heard your other episode in which you talked about some really interesting things that Refugee Action has been doing in recent years to do with shifting power and to do with putting people with lived experience of the issue that your charity tackles more at the heart of what the charity does, not just in terms of governance and hopefully decision making and leadership, but also in terms of approach to fundraising and the narrative that gets used in fundraising. So if the listener hasn't heard that episode, I really recommend they go and listen to that now. But we just couldn't fit it all into that one. So last time, a lot of it, Lulu, was to do with your Christmas cash appeal. And also Shukri touched on getting involved in the very successful Radio 4 appeal. To pick up where we left off, Lulu, you've been working quite deliberately in this way and you mentioned before that it's helped fundraising results yeah after the christmas cash i think this group stayed in place for about a year and we worked on other appeals other um, fundraising products Um, they've also helped workshop an idea and they came up with a brilliant concept for a regular giving product that we hopefully will launch next year but also just in terms of each of our staff members ways of working and how they approach appeals are beyond the group and there's been a lot more sort of partnership working with specific experts by experience who want to be involved in fundraising or more of a one-on-one opportunities as well as looking at working with the group as a whole mm. which has been really really fantastic for us each person who's sort of volunteered their time has really helped bring so much creativity and so much knowledge and improved our work massively 
we're currently we paused the group for a bit and we're relaunching next month to have an tr- opportunity to recruit some new members as well as just have a look a bit a look at our structure and how we could improve in terms of our corporate major donors were they quickly also started getting involved in the group so we had a really big corporate pitch for example that the group brainstormed together on how we should approach it what about refugee actions work could be of interest to that corporate what of people's experience could be of interest to that corporate and what ask we should make together the group came up with a really really fantastic pitch and then one member of the group then went with our partnership and philanthropies team to be part of the pitch and really lead on that side of it. So that sounds like a really interesting application of these principles, Lulu. Do you get a sense of how that pitch went or in particular how it ended up being a different pitch than might have happened ordinarily? Yeah, definitely. I think it really directed what we were going to ask for and actually really helped us review some of our services work as well and what we wanted to be asking for in the future. And then also having the member of the group at the meeting and at the pitch. He was a lawyer before he came to the UK, so he was very good at public speaking. So he really brought that to the table as well. And he also had his lived experience of the refugee system in the UK, so he could sort of hand in hand his public speaking skills and his knowledge and his passion I think just came through way stronger than any of our staff members would have ever been able to pitch and left much more lasting impression. We didn't win it that round, but that company has reapproached us this year and asked us to pitch again. And I don't think that would have happened if we hadn't made such a big impression. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That really sounds like an excellent result. And again, one of the themes that keeps coming through from the other episode is the power of authenticity. And however intelligent, well-meaning you try to be as a fundraiser, you just can't make up authenticity if it's not there. However hard you try, if it's not your point of view, it's not your experience, to state the obvious. And the other theme I noticed from the success story of the Christmas Cash Appeal, a key thing you were mentioning last time is the power of authentically confounding people's expectations or myths about what they think someone who has had to flee their home might be in terms of their skill set or professionalism or public speaking skills and so on. It's one thing for a corporate fundraiser to describe the real issues and the real people. It's a whole nother if that person there right in front of you is the most articulate there. And then the other thing I remembered from your presentation, Shukri, I think you've helped the corporate fundraising team a little bit as well. Is that right? Yeah, I was part of the Power to Change webinar. This was a webinar for corporate partners and supporters. Yeah, I was able to be extremely creative and I did a poem which was to celebrate refugees. Is this something you wrote or something you found that resonated for you and it was a message you wanted them to hear? No, it's something that I wrote. So I wrote the poem and it was really our experiences. But also at the same time, I wanted us to celebrate refugees and asylum seekers in the UK. And one of the, I said how we enrich the British culture, you know, through art and poetry and food and music. That's a fantastic example. And uh, I just get a sense of, especially if, for instance, it was in those lockdown times, you know, and some people were getting Zoom fatigue, you know, not another Zoom quiz. People were in search of meaning, weren't they? And so, again, just to state the obvious, it would be one thing for a member of staff to try to make that point. It's quite another for you to do it your way with your style. Yeah. Uh, 
and your flair. So um, thank you for sharing that example. I just wanted to add about Shikri's poem because it was a really, really beautiful, powerful piece of writing. And with Shikri's permission, we have actually added it to a lot of our fundraising materials because it, well, we just wanted to get as many people reading it as we could and inspired by it. And so we've got our key thank you card that we use has one of Shukri's wonderful paintings because she's also an incredible artist alongside her poem. And we get so much incredible feedback about that. Um, we've also been selling some of her art as well, again, with Shukri's permission. <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, I just wanted to say it. That, it's a really brilliant piece of writing and if anyone does want to read it do let us know because we've got it and the more people who read it the better. Lulu I think you mentioned there were some other events that maybe the high value team were putting on and those also were dramatically improved because of the involvement of Shukri's colleagues. Yes yeah, so those were sort of linked to the power of change webinar so our partnerships and philanthropy team which includes corporates put on a series of webinars throughout lockdown where they were sort of updating supporters about Refugee Action's work and our campaigns and everything like that. And a lot of those sessions were facilitated by people with lived experience. So they would be chairing the sessions. And often as well, we would have our expert experience members as the key speakers as well as the facilitators. So those all those sessions were really led by people with lived experience and pushed forward by people with lived experience which, like you said, it just made the event so much better. They were far more powerful and far more honest and far more authentic than they would have been without all of our experts by experience. And the other thing with partnerships and family, so two of the members of the group then went and volunteered specifically with the PMP team and they worked with them about a day or so a week where they were helping research which different major donors and corporates we should be approaching in the future and doing a lot of sort of data analysis there, which was really exciting. And they've discovered some really key contacts you could be approaching. And I know that was something that was really fantastic for that team that they really, really appreciated. And again, had a kind of level of win-win because it gave our members that professional experience and that training but also supported PMP by having a completely different viewpoint when they were looking at who they should be approaching and who would be a good partner going on in the future. Thank you. And it's not always automatic and easy. I get a strong sense from both of you that it's taken effort from lots of people to do this right. But those examples also give me a sense that it pays back. If I may, Shukri, there was another project you did in which you were invited to be a guest editor for a newsletter that the supporters of the charity received? Yes, that's right. Uh, I was a guest editor for Refugee Actions newsletter, and that was your action issue seven, which I worked with the team on the concept, but also the context of the newsletter. I wrote the editorial letter, but I also wrote an article on fighting for the right to work. Uh, as I said, you know, I had been banned from working and this was such an important issue for me. And there was a campaign going at that time, which was called Lift the Ban. So I wrote this article on fighting for the right to work and why it was really important. And it was really interesting working on the newsletter. You know, it, there was this open and honest communication between myself and Lulu's team. Um, you know, I gained skills the way we worked. You know, I'd never used Stormboard, for example, before. And I got to learn how to use Stormboard to bring brainstorm ideas I got to interview staff as well staff members so there's yeah and learning more about the the work that they were doing on the I think it was the asylum project I think what was quite good about 
being a guest editor as well was the fact that I was allowed to be creative in the way I shared my story in the newsletter. I did it through art, so paintings and, and poetry. One of my biggest concerns as well was how would I remain anonymous? Because at that time, I, my case was still with the Home Office. So how would I become a guest editor and remain anonymous? But the team were really, really good. They used stock images, stock photos. They used a pseudonym to protect my identity. And I think, yeah, that led to other things, like thinking really outside the box. I co-created a t-shirt with Tomorrow Creates that raised awareness about the impact of the asylum system on our mental health. This raised about 462 pounds. So yeah, it's amazing how being involved in one thing helps you think outside the box and think of other things. We designed, I designed a pin badge as well to help uh, engage digital audience on Facebook. Uh, yeah, as a, as a little gift for them, a little designer pin badge. Yeah, and I think as part of the group, I think it was really important that we had our identities and cultures. We wanted to share that connection that Lulu was talking about was really important. And when I was doing the newsletter, it was that I wanted them to understand my identity, the person that I am. You know, I was a creative person. I loved art. I loved poetry. Um, this was carried on by other participants. We had one of the participants as part of the newsletter did a bean soup recipe, sharing her home country's meal from El Salvador. Mary's faith was so important to her. They did a prayer for humanity. That was also part of a newsletter. So let's say I was the first child of the newsletter and this has helped other other experts by experience be able to use other creative methods to share their stories as well. That's fabulous. And there's so many different things you said there I'd love to pick on up on, but I don't think I've got time. Apart from to say another benefit, I think, to the whole project and to the charity's way of working is each time somebody's taken a risk or several people have taken a risk, it's had short term, for instance, fundraising uh, positives, but it's also had these knock-on effects that have led to more long-term things. For instance, after you led the way, other people have been involved in that guest editor role. It's such a fantastic initiative after the initial good idea and, and, and risk. Hi, it's Rob, and I wanted to jump in quickly to let you know that if you're the manager of a team or if you belong to a fundraising team, at the time of publishing this episode, we're still accepting team memberships to our learning and inspiration site, the Bright Spot Members Club. To give you a quick sense of the impact that ongoing access to these resources can have, here's what one fundraising manager shared about how the club has helped his team's results. Hi, my name's Dan McNally and I've been a Bright Spots Members Club for over a year now. And what I absolutely love about the club is the practical ability to translate Rob's amazing sessions out into real life field fundraising results. When I was at the British Heart Foundation, we created a workshop based on Rob's corporate fundraising bundles. And within six months, every single person who had gone on this workshop that we developed had managed to secure one of their Dream 10 corporate organizations. To find out more about all the live workshops and training bundles that you get access to through the club, go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Or to find out about the valuable discounts available for teams, send me a message at events at brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Right now, let's hear more from Lulu and Shukri 
about their initiatives to shift power in fundraising. Sounds like lots has gone well and the charity is forever trying to do things better as well. So in terms of any A, learning or B, advice to the listener, what's crucial if they are to work more in this shifting power way in their own charity? I think a lesson would be, as Lulu said just at the start, asking those who are involved what they want to do, what do they want to get out of being part of the fundraising group. And for us, it was learning. So I think it's important to ask people, what do you want out of this? I think also it's important to co-design things together. I think the way the sessions were structured, you know, we were co-facilitating the sessions and it'd be really good to co-design that agenda with participants whenever you have a fundraising group co-designing that agenda so that we learn or we we get the knowledge of what we want to learn and what we want to make an impact you know that passion needs to be driven to towards something and it's important to ask why but I also think what is really important is to celebrate people with lived experience and to ensure that there's that shared learning through different perspective within the group but ensuring that we're celebrated that we you know, we are beyond our lived experience. We are more than that. We, you know, we are talented people. We are skilled people. And I think sharing that is really important. And, and the other advice I'd give is to be flexible and be aware. You know, people who have lived experience are going through different traumas. They're going through difficulties. And it's just being aware that, yes, some sessions you might only have one participant, but you've not failed. <laughs> It's just that we're having a bad day or, and it's just understanding and being patient in that way and learn from the sessions, grow and learn together. That makes sense. Thank you so much. And Lulu, you might have some of the same things on your list. What would you add to that or anything else that would be really useful for the listener to bear in mind? A couple of the sort of big things I'd say is in terms of getting started, something I sort of referenced last time is just it's progress against perfection. Like if you're so set on doing it right first time it's going to be really hard to get started and I think the best thing we did is just to almost going for it blindly and letting the group turn it into what the group should be because otherwise we could have been still here discussing what we were going to do now and so yeah I think the big thing I'd say is just don't be scared to try it out like if something isn't working you can shift you can adapt you can change you can grow and also I think that needs to be led from the top. You need your organisation to be willing to give you that space to try. Like we're really lucky at Refugee Action that shifting power is really believed in. And there was no one who was sort of said, okay, well, you've got all this red tape, you've got to get past first before you're allowed to try it. It was just more of like, oh yeah, sure, if you want to give that a go, give that a go. Um, and and then I think something I see when people talk about the kind of the shifting power narrative is about giving people a voice. And I think what it needs to be instead is more stepping back and giving people space to talk and giving them space to control that. And that's sort of really what we've been trying to do now for our fundraising is less the kind of giving the voice or being the voice. It's the taking down some of our fundraiser pride and being like, okay, you speak. Yes. And that came through actually in all of these different things you've been talking about. But one of the really neat, clear demonstrations is that whereas many charities would give a voice to someone in a webinar, I think not many would empower that person to organise it and facilitate it right from the start. Yeah, I, I that's right. It's just kind of, it's just trusting people a bit and being there to 
support and guide but also giving people the freedom to take a bit more of a lead in, in what narrative you're sharing and what you're doing yes and i guess just to play devil's advocate is that ever too big a risk i mean for all the reasons we've been talking about clearly there's so many good reasons why we should try harder and and go further that direction do you have any advice for the listener who's concerned about needing some level of control because for a professional fundraising reason or I mean there might be times when a creative idea you know there's lots of upsides to it but there's there's actually a reason why it it would have a a downside we should beware so how can we put any sort of boundary I'm sensing that the people on the group would welcome that anyway (laughs) if they're not of course they want that but just could you reassure us about how you've managed sort of both needs yeah, kind of everything was like an open discussion. So it's sort of, it wasn't a case of, oh, that's sort of going, no, that can't be done. It's more like, this is, these are some of the parameters we work. And like Shukri mentioned, we did the audience motivation analysis. So we shared what we'd learned through testing before, who we learned our supporters are, who we were talking to. And we had a whole session where we were sort of thinking about what sort of things might they respond to and brainstorming that together. So that's one of the ways that we sort of had discussions about parameters. We also did a session on GDPR in terms of the legalities of what we can and can't do. Like that sort of, I think, goes hand in hand with learning. The other thing I'd say is the group didn't always agree with each other. There were so many different people and there are so many different opinions that almost when we're talking from experience of fundraising, it was more we were just one of the voices discussing and brainstorming together and getting to an end goal together. There was, I think, a big day when we were talking about the Christmas cash where a lot of the group wanted to have really positive imagery. Um, a few members of the group wanted less positive imagery. We sort of worked that out together. We discussed it together. We thought about how it could work and whether we wanted to test it, whether we wanted to test something else. We looked at how packs could look like that. I think it's sort of, yeah, it's reaching reaching the goal together and just being open to discussion. Mm, yes, that makes sense. So that you really are getting the best of both worlds in terms of the creativity, but, you know, sound decisions and everyone respects that and, and sees the value of that, it sounds to me. Now, just before we wrap up, I asked Shukri if she'd be willing to share her poem. That's the one that she and Lulu mentioned earlier. And I'm very happy to say that she agreed. So here's Shukri. So this is the poem that I wrote. Um, uh, I created a piece to celebrate the lives and resilience of those seeking safety in the UK as part of the Power to Change webinar and the newsletter. I celebrate us. I celebrate the brave men, women and children who make difficult journeys to get to Britain, crossing the channel on boats, walking from Esmer, escaping Calais, Dunkirk, fleeing war or persecution of any form, whichever part of the world in the hope of a bright future, knowing that Britain is a place they can seek sanctuary, a place they can be protected, a place where their rights will be respected, and a place they can call their home. I celebrate the fearless men, women, and children who are here seeking refuge and safety, only to end up with no roof over their heads, not knowing where they will sleep from week to week or night to night, counting pennies, not knowing where their next meal will come from, waiting for the day they can call Britain their home. I celebrate the strong women, men and children who have left their loved ones behind, those who are surrounded by so many faces but feel isolated and alone, disappointed and failed by the system that is meant to protect them scared to raise their voices, 
left sitting in limbo, fighting the monster called mental health, screaming for peace, peace, peace. I celebrate the resilient children, women and men who never give up despite all and still volunteer their time, no, their hearts to help their neighbors, their communities, organizations, and to help the British society thrive. I celebrate the hardworking men and women at Refugee Action who work tirelessly to give us a voice, to change our lives, to empower us and to enhance our lives so that we are part of something, that our journeys mean something. They battle alongside us so that we can have a fighting chance to integrate into society. Our knights in shining armor. I celebrate amazing women, men, and children who enrich the British culture through food, music, and art, who with a great big smile fill our streets with so much joy, laughter, and happiness, reminding us that together we can stand up for asylum, stand up for dignity, stand up for humanity, stand up for life. I celebrate you for your kindness, for caring, for being part of something, and for making a difference. I celebrate us. Well, I hope you found our conversation helpful. If so, and you've not yet subscribed, please do that today, as we've got lots more great episodes coming up. And you'll also get immediate access to the earlier episode we've made with Shukri and Lulu, which is episode 108. To see a full transcript and a brief summary of today's episode, go to the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you're interested in finding out more about all the weekly fundraising masterclasses and the library of my best training films available 24-7 in our Training and Inspiration Club, go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Or if you're a manager and you'd like to find out about team discounts for the Brightspot Members Club, do send me a message via the Brightspot Fundraising website. If you found today's episode helpful, I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to share it, either to colleagues or on social media, so that we can help as many charities as possible with these ideas. You can find Lucy Smithick and I on LinkedIn, and on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. I really appreciate any help you can give in spreading the word. Finally, thank you for listening today. Best of luck with your fundraising, and I look forward to sharing more fundraising examples with you very soon.